In the 14th verse of Matthew, chapter 9, and this is where we've been kind of moving through our midweek. Started off with Sermon on the Mount, and just so many things were, to me, being compelling to continue teaching through it. And so no less today, Jesus right now has had a very fruitful, powerful ministry. The Gospel of Matthew moves very quickly through the different stages right now of how his influence is turning hearts, changing people's lives, compelling them to have a hope that at one time was perishing. And the last event that we saw was this tax collector, whom we know is the author of this book, Matthew, penning it articulately, precisely as an accountant would, formerly once a corrupt accountant, now taking account the things of God with accuracy, no duplicity, moving extraordinarily to convey to what our eyes see right now, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Change truly with what appears to be just one invitation, follow me, and he did. The Lord still does that to us. I can say with certainty that in this place, that voicing of the Lord's heart, both received in the ear, both as well acknowledged in the mind, that touch in the heart, follow me. The Lord doesn't spare any of us with that command. This was life-changing in the event that for Matthew, he was turning away from a vocation to take the Lord's invitation for a walk away from that table of the treasury to begin assimilating the truth of God's presence in this person that he was not only enamored with, but completely sold out to. Once a sellout to Rome, a violator of his own brethren and what he was able to basically make in the difference that Rome would pay him above with the taxes that were owed. And he is in love with the Lord, footstep for footstep. As that concludes, it indicates now, not necessarily in this moment, could have been, but from John's persuasion, John the Baptist, disciples that were still listening to his teachings because Jesus is right now technically fresh on the scene. And so they, being a part of that preparatory ministry from John the Baptist, they come to him. And they come to him because many of the things that John was focused on had still tenants of incorporation with historical Judaism, in particular, the fast. John would have been one that would have been certainly an employer of it, meaning that he was disciplined in it. If you can eat locusts and honey and water from the Jordan and be sustained, a fast is nothing too difficult for you to assimilate into. So he would have been disciplined in it. This is different than that. Jesus is moving in the interior right now, really the hub of Judaism in terms of how he moves in and out of the area of Jerusalem, how 
those who are the Pharisees and Sadducees have their eyes critically on him, on if he is a rabbi, then is he doing things according to rabbinical law? It would be indisputable based even on the record that we saw weeks ago that if as a 12-year-old he could both listen to and articulate the law and have a compelling reason that these scholars would marvel at him, well, think where he would be now. He would be at the place truly that could contend in the mind of theology with any who would say they were superior to him. The public heard him and responded favorably to him. They marveled. The cynics and critics wanted to collaborate and to, as well, corroborate on evidence that would say he's a violator of all that we stand for. Jesus would conclude in this 13th verse before the questions being asked of him in the 14th verse, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And the word that we emphasize with regard to repentance is that it has usually in the visual, the context that there has to be a sound beating, there has to be a yell off, there has to be a publication of the sin's greatest to the smallest and everything in between. There has to be complete abject humiliation in order for a person exercising in repentance can be acceptable to the Lord. But in no case do we see that. If there was ever a charge that would have required that kind of transparency and brokenness, it would have been to the institution of Judaism. In every situation that Jesus came upon someone afflicted, devastated by sin, it was always simply addressing with compassion their need. And in the address of their need, change, which is repentance, happened. The kindness of the Lord leads men to repentance. It provokes the thought that the way that I'm going isn't the way that is best for me, and it's not pleasing to God. And anyone who has found themselves trying to get back to God in acts of repentance that are in works or self-depreciation find themselves with no gain, only deeper loss and depression, meaning that rather than pressing into the Lord and the Lord pressing down upon them, they just go for what you would call broke. It just doesn't work that way. It's always responding to the kindness of God. And the Lord knows that kindness will work. So that being settled right now, these guys come and they ask him concerning the tradition of fasting. This is what he says to them. Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast, verse 14 says. And I actually think that the way that that is phrased is very clever. Yeah, good question. Why do you? 
Why do you fast if Jesus, whom you have acknowledged and whom your teacher, John the Baptist, pointed to and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why do you fast if you see that he whom John pointed to and whom even you may have heard him say, I must decrease that he might increase. Why do you do what the others are doing by tradition? If it is not being seen in the lives of the disciples of Jesus and Jesus is overseeing them, why do you? And so that's always a very good question. Jesus uses questions. Why do we do what we do if Jesus doesn't do it? Why does the church at times do what churches can do if it's not taught and seen within the construct of when the church, endued with the Spirit, moved in power, does there always have to be some new angle to give greater understanding of God? There can be means by which we present the Word of God uniquely, but not errantly. Types and styles of worship uniquely, but wholesomely as unto the Lord. There is a fit, there is a time in which change indeed may be necessitated. But Jesus is addressing right now these who are doing something because it's just being done, but there's not heart in it, and there's no worship regarding it. The fast was a discipline, and I still believe that the fast is an important discipline but it's not everything about Christianity. And what may be my preference as a discipline imposed on you may be completely irrelevant and actually irregular for you. I can simply say that as a discipline, I have found it to be beneficial and powerful. I can say that Leviticus would have required the Jewish people to have at least indulged in a 24-hour fast once a week. That began to be pressed further for longer days. And Jesus would eventually simply address it in his walk that what he would do, he would do so in liberty that as God and man, it was of necessity. He would address the disciples in a time in which going out and being filled with the Spirit in a way in which they could affect change, touching those afflicted, and yet coming back on, it didn't quite work for us. And Jesus would say, that cannot come out, but by prayer and fasting. There were times in which that combination was employed by the Lord, when he, after having been baptized by John, was ushered out into the wilderness by the Spirit, we're told that for 40 days he was in a fast. And so he's not taking away the merit of the fast. What he's pointing to right now is a principle that while his disciples are with him, it is not essential. 
It's not going to be illegal, but it's not essential. There are many things that right now we do, but when heaven comes, when we're ushered up into heaven, they will no longer be essential and critical. As Jesus addresses this concerning the fast, he coins it this way, and I find this to be very interesting. He turns it into an evaluation of what really we should be about. Because remember, the fast has connotations of both mourning. That means a sense of loss and of longing. With Jesus, they have gained, and they are no longer longing. They are in the, pres the presence of satisfaction. In essence, he's incorporating them to live a life that we technically are to live today, which is liberated. He satisfies us. His presence is evidence by how we see him in our life. And it's a picture to people saying, you know, you're hearing Jesus in such a formal way, in such a separated way, we're living a life that says it's cohesive. We're tight. That used to be a phrase in my growing up years. You're doing it tight. We're tight. Meaning there's no separation deviating from what we think, from how our heart's beating. And the same principle is true with what Jesus is saying. These guys are with me right now. And just as one day we will be with him, we will lack nothing. There will be nothing to prove, nothing to do, no discipline to exercise whatsoever. He presents himself as the bridegroom. Great presentation. Because when we talk about marriages, we talk about the joy of completion. That's uniquely what a marriage is. It's not a trial on how two people can forge a relationship with integrity and remain together for life. It's actually more complex than that, much deeper. It's a union that the Lord says takes two individuals that are uniquely designed, male and female, and putting them together. And it's not just a blend, it's actually where they're forged into one unit. God doesn't want that to be mocked. It's one unit whom he joins together. He qualifies no longer as two, but one. Oh, we see distinctly the personalities and profiles of each person within the marriage, but from God's perspective, he goes, you're one. You're strong. You're beautiful. You're complimenting each other. And you're saying things about who I am to you as your Lord and to the church as the great bridegroom. This was important for him to delineate between simply being one of the guys with John and exercising a discipline that not necessarily was wrong, but the fact it wasn't essential now that Jesus was here. If they wanted to have connectivity with him, it wasn't through the programs and formats of spiritual discipline. It was just saying, follow me. 
Hey, can anybody follow you, Jesus? Well, anyone that hears my voice and desires to follow me can follow me. There were only a couple of exceptions. One was the whacked out weirdo, the demon-possessed man from the Gadarenes. No chains could hold him. He was feared with his partner. And Jesus said that for him, as his desire was to follow the Lord in the belly, he said, I need you to go back to the priests and declare who you are and what I've done. That's your mission. In doing that, you will follow me, but you'll be following me in a manner which for that community of theologians, they will understand that this was of God, not of man. And that you, being one dismissed by society, criminal indeed for what you've done, are saved. Jesus says in comparison, it's no longer about mourning, it's about dancing. It's about joy. It's about being fully filled to the brim. I remember that in the passing of my father and my mother, but in particular my dad, no doubt about it, just broken. And I remember that in the days that followed, it was this sense of absence, longing to have just one more day, just another occasion. But I remember that this is what the Lord addressed my heart in. I'm saying that humanly, that's where I was at. And the Lord just touched me, and he said, I'm here. I was thinking about my dad, and the Lord said, I'm here. I thought about my brother recently, as of October a year that he's been with the Lord. And as I think about Jim, the Lord says, I'm here. In any place in which there's a void and a sentiment that says, I long for that or for them, the Lord comes in and says, I'm here. I'm here. I am. I'm all you need. I'm exactly where you're at in the place that you need me most. And so I remember that it was like, wow. And that means if for those occasions, then it means on any occasion. For the crises that I've passed through, but perhaps for the crises that I have yet still to bear up under, I'm here. I'm exactly what you need, exactly where you're at. In essence, this is where Jesus is speaking to the heart of them. Everything that your heart wants to do, but justified in the things that you are attempting to show God through ordinances and laws, but lacking liberty and mercy, and even the understanding that I'm the guy. Everything that you did prior to knowing who I am, those were just elements. They were exercises, but you don't have to exercise like that anymore. I've accepted you in me and you get to have liberty you didn't wash your hands oops it's okay I've got that covered 
I've got that covered. He declares that though one day the bridegroom shall be taken away, and then he does say this, they will fast. But notice this, though fasting is associated with mourning and humility, he just simply leaves it as they'll fast. Well, how often? It just says they'll fast. How long? It just says they'll fast. Meaning, whether you do it, when you do it, however you do it, you'll probably do it. And it'll be because you have in that joy, that cleansing time, which it is, an opportunity to worship the Lord. And not how much you can take in, but actually how much you can simply let go of. And Jesus says it's all about a change of the mind regarding the expression of the heart. If you want to, you can. I've met people that quite matter-of-factly say, the fast doesn't do it for me. And I will say, I understand. Does it do it for you? And I'll say, it does. And they'll say, I don't understand. I know. On both sides of it. Do I do it with the frequency that I did it at 30 years of age? Well, I can't tell you whether I do or don't. I think in my 30s I was a real extremist. As I've gotten older, less extreme. But I know neither of it had to do with being impressive. I just explored options of walking with the Lord. But I can teach both on the discipline of fasting and I can also teach on the liberty of not having to fast, of actually enjoying what we came from just two verses earlier in which a banquet feast was thrown by Matthew for all of his friends who were tax gatherers and sinners from the perspective of the Pharisees. And there was Jesus in the midst of a big giant barbecue picnic. A time of, could I have some more of that, please? Anybody got water? Anybody got wine? He was actually accused of being both glutton and wine-bibber. Because those who at that time were hearing of it and seeing it, they had already checked their box off, fasted, fasted, fasted. Ooh, got that day covered, got that week covered, doing good. You know, they'd shake off their face and their gowns and puff their chests out, ready to prove again how spiritual they were. And Jesus was saying, this is how I prove it. Pass the sandwiches. Pass the pita bread, please. Awesome. Hummus there? Great. Fresh veggies? Like that. That's good. Fish? Who brought that? Awesome. So Jesus says, there's a time that they will fast. Your liberty in the fast. What can you expect from it? Daniel would say purity. You can expect a purification for your body, given, it's true, giving your body a rest can do immense purification. Longer, the better. How long? There are guidelines. Moses would say, I had such revelation, I went up there 
I was in the presence of the Lord, didn't know it till he told me to take off my sandals. I was getting a nice suntan from the bush that was burning, but it wasn't consumed. But man, did I have a time with the Lord. Revelation came down with two tablets, didn't handle the first two pair very well, ended up doing a second number, but I had revelation with God. Daniel would say purification. Moses would say revelation. It was good stuff. There are times in which Vethast is used for simply bringing to mind that which the Lord has spoken before. I simply would say re-articulating, saying again to your heart what you had already been told. Those can be great opportunities. But the when, your choice. How long, your choice. What's the Lord going to show you? Anything that pleases Him with where you're at and why you're doing it. Whether you do it or don't do it, chances are you will at some point in time. This is what he addresses them. And then in 16 and 17, closing here, he says, this is the change, basically, that I am instituting. And it's this. I do a new work. You don't have to add anything to it. It's a new work. It's a fresh work. And when I do a new work and a fresh work, then nothing gets damaged in the process. When you try to add to the work and it's something that is of you in the flesh trying to please me, there will be damage in the process. We would call this work of the Spirit, we would call it regeneration, we would call it a new life, a new means by which we no longer function As once we did, so persuaded easily by the carnal mind, we're persuaded by the spiritual disposition that God does. Anybody that deals with neurology realizes that one of the key terms there is regeneration. How can I make this connection once again to that which has been severed? How can I make those cables line up again and send messages from the brain to the furthest tip of response. The Lord does that spiritually, but he also teaches us that same principle physically. Regeneration is when God does literally a repair on that which was broken. And it's as if it is new, undamaged, better than it was before. That's why we can marvel at ourselves because though the world may judge us as to what they once knew of us, God says, are you kidding me? These guys are new works. Do you remember the faces of the people as they held their little boxes? That's what God actually displays about each one of us. We're these new boxed works that are just ready to be opened to the marvel. (laughs) That one little girl... I wanted to have, what was it, mermaid fins forever. Didn't she say she was praying for mermaid fins? Isn't that cool? The Lord would give her mermaid fins because it was his delight that she could be Ariel for a day or two or however long those flippers would last. And that's what God would say to you. You're my packages, and I package you to bring the best joy 
possible to the recipient which I send you to. So this is how he concludes it. He compares one with fabric in the 70s. People like me, actually people just ahead of me, would take leather. It was actually cool. And they would start sewing it in to the Levi's that no longer were holding together. And so very often in my school time, you'd see these big patchwork quilts of leather on Levi's. But the first time that mom got a hold of those, threw them in the washer, that person coming to school <laughs> would have a lot of air conditioning because the leather would shrink up, tearing the fabric that had already been tested. And so it wasn't any big deal, believe me, for my generation to have aeration in your jeans. Uh, where this generation does it at the kneecaps, every area of our jeans were open territory for lacerations and holes and leather. And eventually, what we know is the Levi's eventually would be completely covered with leather and you'd have many people looking like Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett. Only crispier, because they still didn't know how to take care of their leather. Mom still got a hold of it. Jesus would say in the principle here, that won't work. You can't add to that which is necessarily needing a whole different work. So it's not going to work. If I do it, I'll do a brand new work. He makes then the comparison in the last verse, and that is no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on the old garment, last verse, nor do they put new wine into old wineskin or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. The anchor word there is preserved. God's interested in that preservation. And so the principle is, even though that wineskin, which is old and has been doing fine with old vintage, it will not do the same when new vintage is put into it because the new vintage is maturing. It's still giving off gas. It's still desiring to express itself in a manner in which that skin is unable to yield. And so as a result, the consequence will be that which at one time was aged and could have been appreciated as an aged drink and still sustained the beverage, it will explode, you'll lose it all. God's into new works not being lost in carelessness, haste. It's not really to our contemporary appreciation because we've got our clear you know, water bottles now and glassware and thermoses. So those things can stand anything. But Jesus wants to make it actually where we can see the consequence of it. See, when we, when we look at the natural realm and we see that there are consequences to things that are done and we compare it to the things that we've triumphed over. Yeah, that's not an issue with us. No big deal. God, say, I, I want you to kind of go back to the organic days of the principle is what I'm saying. I do a new work. I pour in you as a result of regeneration that has now been the result of your surrender. You're following me. And I pour in you my spirit and from you flows the living water. From you 
flows, the reservoir of empowerment from the Spirit, the giftings that I give you because of the Spirit. And I don't just do that in a takeover of your body, the old you. I do not compromise the old you for the new you. The new you gets everything that's of me and from heaven. The old guy, I pass it by. There's a lot of people that strive to get what they see the church has, but they do it in a carnal-minded way. And God deals with them lovingly, compassionately. I tried to have what was always available to me by my methodology. And the Lord just let me get older, let more genes fall apart on me, making me look more and more like a patch quilt, a has-been, a nobody, until I eventually said, I am a nobody, I am a has-been, and I don't want that anymore in my life. And the Lord says, I can do something about that. What can you do? Ask me. Okay, Lord, I'm asking, what would you like to do? Ah, I was hoping you'd ask me. This is what I'm going to do. And so that's the process. John the Baptist will fade from the historical pages. Those who have followed him will have to choose to follow the God who, as man, says, this is the new way that I'm doing things. And if you follow and if you walk in my ways, you're going to see change that will effectually turn Rome upside down and the world as you know it if you follow the change that I will do in you. Not what you want to do to show that you're changed, but actually the change that will be you personally. Brand new work, brand new revelation of me. It's not through fasting. I will go, you'll fast. But this change is going to be an authentic signature of me signing off on your life. You're not the same. 